Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mean Old Lion Media, where black and brown voices truly matter. This is Russ, and this is the Overlook Podcast. Today, we're going to be going over the disappearance of Linda Louise Skeek. Linda Skeek is a Native American woman missing from Anchorage, Alaska. She's a mother to three and was working at the NANA Regional Corporation, which is an Alaska Native social economic group. Her foster mother described her as a very loving, thoughtful person, respectful for others. That's why she could always get such good jobs. She loved children and didn't forget a birthday. She was a great daughter. That doesn't mean she didn't have her problems, but she was very well loved and she gave love back. Now, Linda was last seen in Anchorage on January 1st, 2016. Her husband states that they spent the night, which was New Year's Eve, driving around to different bars and strip clubs to celebrate. He says that he stayed in a car in the parking lot of these places with their kids while Linda went inside the different bars and clubs to drink. He says they arrived home around 1 a.m. and that Linda was drinking when they got home. Now, the husband's story is that Linda wanted to go back downtown to visit another car once they got home, but he took the keys away from her due to the fact that she had already been drinking and that this led to a verbal argument. Thomas, her husband, says that after he took the keys, Linda started screaming at him before storming off and leaving the home on foot around 2.30 a.m. He assumed that she was headed towards another bar, but she was never heard from again. Now, when Linda left, allegedly, she only had her ID card on her and about $40 in cash, and she did not have a cell phone. After four days of not returning home, Her husband reported her missing at the urging of Linda's foster mother. But even after he reported her missing, it would be a couple of days. And this is really unfortunate because in these cases, time is of the essence. And when we wait, possible evidence can be forever lost. Now, Linda's family became really concerned when they didn't hear from her on New Year's Eve. Linda's family had a group chat, and Linda was one of the main people who participated in the group chat. She made sure to keep in touch with people, and she was actually really big on things like anniversaries, birthdays, and holidays, New Year's Eve being one of them. So when family didn't hear from her on New Year's Eve, they were immediately alarmed. Then Thomas, her husband, he stopped allowing the kids to speak to Linda's foster mom which was a huge red flag for the family. Yes, Linda was very close to her foster family and they had a good relationship with her kid. Now, Linda's foster mother, she straight away wanted answers. She flat out asked Thomas, did you murder Linda? And she states that at first he would just reply, I didn't hurt her. To which she would say, that's not what I asked. Now, he went on consistently saying no when asked for a while. But one day, during a phone call with him, she decided to ask him again, did you murder Linda? She states, he replied, 
I don't think so. And that's all she needed. She called the police and let them know, y'all need to look into the husband. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about Linda, her marriage, and her husband. Because there's some things that when you look into this case, you are going to immediately see thrown in your face about Linda. I personally think this was done purposely. While some of these details are relevant and there are things that the police need to know and are also helpful for those who are interested in the case. However, the way it's presented is, is in a way that it definitely feels like they want you to get a certain idea of Linda. And here's the thing, I'm not trying to sugarcoat anything and neither did Linda's family. Her family is very blunt and honest about the things that Linda struggled with. But there is a certain tone in the case that can't be ignored. In fact, while looking up the case, I came across a podcast that kind of sort of covered it. It was more of an opinion piece, but they too spoke about the general tone that is given when you are researching this case in regards to how people want to frame Linda and who she is as a person. But I wanted to give you that preface because when I tell you a little bit about Linda's life and what was going on at that time, I want you guys to be very aware of the thoughts that come to your mind. To be mindful of what types of perceptions come into your mind when you are hearing these details and how some of this information may come off to the public or a jury and if that may sway how they feel about the victim. Now, Linda did have a bit of a history of leaving home and going on drinking binges. Her family has never denied this. Linda grew up in the foster care system and she had a lot of trauma. As happy and smiley and bubbly as she was, there was still an inner child in there that had some trauma that wasn't properly dealt with. And it led her to alcohol to cope. While Linda did go on drinking binges, Linda was an excellent employee. In fact, when she disappeared, she had recently just got promoted. She had landed a really good job where she was working with an organization that advocated for Native Americans. With that said, no matter what she did on the weekend, drinking included, she always made it back home by Sunday night so she can be up and ready for work Monday morning. And that is something she was consistent with. But this last time, she didn't return for work. And not only that, even on her binges, she kept in contact with her family. She would reply to text messages. She would answer the phone. And when it came to holidays, birthdays, or anniversaries, she always made sure to reach out. They were a big thing to her. But she has not reached out since she disappeared in 2016. And while she struggled with her addiction, she really did want to do better. She had been to rehab in the past and would do good for a while and fall off the wagon. Her foster mother is quoted as saying, she had addictions, but she was trying to clean her life up. She had a dream to be whole. Still, she struggled. She struggled her addiction to alcohol and she also struggled in her home life. Everything I've read about Linda's marriage says that this was a very turbulent relationship. Now, it's mentioned in a few blog posts that the November before Linda disappeared, which would be just about a month and a half before she was last seen. A couple blog posts have mentioned that she pointed a loaded gun at her husband in front of their seven-year-old child. Now, I've mainly just seen that in blog posts. I do believe I have seen it mentioned in one particular article. However, 
I don't see any court telling of that. So I'm not sure where that information came from. We're not sure if that's something that the husband has said, if that was something somebody witnessed, or if that's in a court document that I just do not have access to. However, it is something that you'll see mentioned in the case. But something that you will find noted, and there is court document of, is that in that very same month, Linda did file for a protection order against her husband for herself and her two children. In her petition, she said that Thomas had assaulted her and left bruises on her chest. Unfortunately, she withdrew that petition 10 days later, and she and Thomas reconciled. Now, it was discovered around the time Linda disappeared that she was having an affair with a man that she met during one of her separations from Thomas. Now, this man did talk to the police, and he says the last time he heard from Linda was New Year's Eve night, 2015, and that he has not heard from her since either. This man had an alibi, and everything seemed to have checked out, and he is not considered a suspect in her case at all. But while Linda was having an affair, so was her husband. And in fact, a couple of places have reported that the husband moved the mistress into the home soon after Linda disappeared. And at the time that she disappeared, Linda wanted to leave. She had told multiple family and friends that, no, she was in fact leaving Thomas. She was divorcing him. She was tired and she was through. Their household was not one of peace. In fact, in a USA article, Linda's sister, Nicole, recalled receiving a call from Linda one day. And this was actually a couple of years before she disappeared. Linda had called her and asked her to please come pick her up. When she got to the home, she found Linda screaming, scared, because Thomas was trying to stab her with a kitchen knife. Luckily, at that time, Linda screamed and was able to dodge the attack. Her sister provided us with a little bit more information about their relationship. It appears that Thomas used to manipulate Linda into not filing police reports. In that same article, her sister goes on to say that he would tell Linda, we have two kids. If I go to jail, they're going to grow up without a dad. And this hit a chord for Linda, Linda who grew up in the foster care system, Linda who openly dreamed of being a wife and being a family unit. Her foster mom said that she openly dreamed about doing things the quote unquote right way. And here's the thing, family wasn't really sure why Linda married Thomas. The whole courtship seemed really quick and it seemed like there was a whole bunch of stuff that they did not know about each other. Those close to her kind of believed that she just really wanted her own family. And then there came this guy that said that that's what he was willing to give her. There's also belief that there may have been some pressure from her biological family to marry another indigenous person. So when Thomas came along, he too was an indigenous individual and he was saying, hey, let's get married, that she might've just jumped at the chance of making that happen. And unfortunately from the get-go, it became obvious that this may have been a big mistake. See, just a couple months into their marriage, Thomas was charged with abusing a minor. According to an Alaska public article in 2006, Thomas, who was 24 years old at the time, was accused of attempting to rape a 15-year-old girl. At the time, he was working as a caseworker at a youth service agency. Now, all in all, he ended up leading down to a misdemeanor sexual offense and only served about four months in jail after he is registered as a sex offender. Now, of course, all of that took Linda back. That is not who she thought she married. At the time that Linda disappeared, she was the family's sole provider. 
Thomas didn't work. And after going to work, she would then come home to an environment that seemed very hostile. Now, three weeks after Linda disappeared, the police conducted a search of the home. And this is a little bit after foster mom made that call and said, yo, this is what he told me. They searched the home in the family vehicle on January 20th, 2016. After the search, the husband was arrested and charged with murder and evidence tampering. When he was arrested, police noted a bite mark on his right arm, bruising on his neck, collarbone, back, and head. In the home, investigators found blood evidence. Essentially, it looked like a violent incident occurred that left someone bleeding, and it appeared someone tried to clean it up. There were blood stains in multiple rooms, like the bathroom, the basement crawl space, the kitchen wall, and in the passenger compartment of the couple's vehicle. There was also a clump of long, dark hair found in the crawl space. And to add to that suspicion, the dryer contained clothing that looked to be as if it was washed in an extreme amount of bleach. Police would later learn that Thomas went out and bought ammonia, Lysol, and other cleaning supplies a few hours after Linda disappeared. They also noted that on the calendar in the home, on the January 1st spot, someone oddly marked 2.30 a.m., Linda walked off. And later, we would get one of their children telling their great uncle that, yeah, they remember that night that their mom disappeared because they were scared, they were terrified, and they walked downstairs and they could see their mother's feet in the bathroom surrounded by blood. Later, a neighbor would report that they remember hearing an argument in the Skeek residence the night that Linda disappeared. They reported hearing glass breaking, things being thrown. In fact, it was such a ruckus the neighbor's own picture fell off their wall in their unit. After the sound of glass shattering, things breaking, the neighbor doesn't recall hearing Linda's voice again. Now, Thomas remained in jail for three years until his trial began in March of 2019. In court, Thomas and Linda's daughter, as well as their neighbor, would testify for the side of the prosecution. Now, as I stated before, it seems like Thomas's lawyer's whole defense was based on two things. One, where's the body? Where's the body? Prove to me that Linda is in fact dead. We're arguing a case about murder and y'all cannot prove to us that a murder even occurred. And that was their biggest angle. Uh, but the second angle seemed to also be the whole assassination of Linda's character. Now, I will say I cannot find video of a trial and I have issues finding transcripts. So I am mostly going off of the articles that I have found that only gets tidbits of the case. But from the tidbits I could see, there's a whole lot of, where's the body? Where's the proof? Why are we arguing murder and we can't prove that there was a murder? Which unfortunately is a logical and smart tactic. We've heard it said multiple times before. Nobody, no trial, nobody, no crime. And we've all heard a variation of that sentence in everything from everyday life to movies and lyrics, all the way from various rappers to Taylor Swift, who has a song titled Nobody, No Crime. But on the flip side of that is that whole character assassination thing. Now, the things that they said about Linda are true, but you need the truth in context. For example, like I said earlier, in blogs, it's mentioned that Linda may have held a gun to her husband in front of one of their children the November before she disappeared. 
Now, off the back, that sounds horrible. That's a horrible, traumatic situation for everyone involved. But just saying it like that and leaving it there, it makes you wonder if Linda was violent. It makes you wonder if she was an instigator. Was her drinking too much? But adding in context now makes you wonder, yeah, but did she hold a gun to him as self-defense? Was this a means to get him to stop hurting her in front of their child? You see, once you bring in other details, that first original piece of information, it morphs how you look at it. When I was looking at the different theories that people have mentioned along with this case, one theory that has nothing to do with the actual theory of what happened to Brenda, more so a theory of what was going on in her life, that I actually came across more than once, was people wondering and speculating if Linda was being pimped out by her husband. Follow me. This is brought up because people thought it was weird that Linda and her husband went to multiple bars in a strip club on New Year's Eve with their kids in a car. And that the husband, who friends and family are alleging was abusive and had been abusive for a long time, was taking her to go drink with others while he sat in the car with the kids all night. In fact, he took her to multiple places. He even took her to a strip club. And quite a few people came together and said, yeah, that doesn't line up. That doesn't sound correct. And a couple of people peeped in with their theory that this really sounds more like he was taking her to places where customers would be. And he stayed in the car while she went in, found customers, and came back out. Now, I want to be very clear. That is just a theory that I came across multiple times. Now, if that theory is true, that puts a different spin on Linda's drinking. We already have trauma-impacted childhood, foster care system, violent relationship, and alcohol abuse, living in an isolated area away from her family. All those things kind of check off for things that make you more likely and susceptible to being trafficked. And if that's the case, if, I want to be very clear, if that's the case, well, that makes you look at the whole alcoholism thing differently. It makes you look at the whole them breaking their kids out with them differently. One thing I came across when I was first starting to look into this case is multiple people kind of had side eyes and a couple of comments to say about Linda drinking while her kids were in the car with the husband. And it was mostly a very negative view on Linda. But if we bring that theory into play, well, then now it doesn't seem like a wild child who did not care about the family, who was reckless. It kind of changes that tone. This is why things like context is important. Yes, you can state a fact, but without context, that particular fact can change your whole outlook on the case. But then when you put in context, that same exact fact can then switch your perspective to a whole completely different view. But I believe that the defense knew exactly what they were doing. Because here's the thing, there is a term called worthy poor, right? Worthy poor are worthy victims. And it is this idea that In the world, we seem to have decided in our head that there are some people who are worthy poors, who are worthy of our help and us getting them on their feet and donating supplies and money. And these are usually the widowed, the orphan, the the innocent. 
And then this idea of the unworthy poor or the unworthy victim. And this is those who, uh, I mean, I'm not giving no money to them. They just going to use it on alcohol. They are they poor because they make poor life decisions. They not worth us caring about, you know, take some responsibility. And while some people may not come out and say directly, this is someone I do not consider worthy of seeing as a true victim. You can usually tell by the tone. From what I was able to read, it seems like that is what the defense team tried to do. Not only is there nobody, but is Linda even innocent? Is Linda even worth this making this hoopla about? Again, of course, they're never going to directly come out and say it, but they set up the tone to put that idea in your head. The prosecution was coming with daughter testifying, neighbor testifying, blood found, clumps of hair found, a quick rush out to the store for cleaning products just a few hours after she disappeared. Her saying that she wanted to leave. And then here comes the defense with, yeah, but she had a drinking problem. She, 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 you know, she has some DUIs. Remember that, y'all. Keep that in mind, y'all. Look, we have surveillance. They did go to the bars and she, she's the one that went out to the bars. It's a very, very clever trick that people use all the time. But do we really want to care about this person this much? I mean, look how flawed they were. I mean, like, I know that's a lot of evidence, but like, look how messy her life was. That's the tone it seems that the defense gave off. And it might have worked. Thomas's lawyer argued in her closing statement that Linda's geek could have fallen victim to a random act of violence or purposely disappeared. And essentially, that has nothing to do with her client. The state can't prove that that did not happen. The trial took 17 days. More than 30 witnesses testified. That neighbor testified that she had heard this couple fighting before. One night, she remembers Glenda screaming, help me, he's killing me. And Thomas yelling back, I'm going to kill you, you fucking slut. The neighbor called the police that night, terrified for Linda. And she says that after the police came and all of that, Linda and Thomas then both confronted her and warned her to stay out of their business. In the wee morning hours of January 1st, 2016, the neighbor testifying to hearing another loud argument between Linda and Thomas where she heard Linda saying she wanted a divorce. The neighbor went on to say that she heard Thomas go into a complete rage. She heard lots of very violent sounded noises and then a very loud bang. And in her testimony, she said, and I quote, I never heard Linda again. Linda and Thomas's 10-year-old daughter, who also testified for the state, told the jury that the night her mother went missing, and I quote, I remember a big fight downstairs. I was crying. I heard a big thump. The little girl went downstairs to see what was happening. And she details to the jury, she saw her mother's feet on the ground in a pool of blood by the bathroom door. And the jury acquitted Thomas on all charges. Now you may have been shocked that he was acquitted on everything and is a free man, but others in the area, they weren't. USA Today did an article called Missing or Murder in America's Deadliest State one family is still searching for answers. And this particular article is talking about Linda's disappearance, 
but also the disappearance of other women in Alaska in general, and just the dangers of domestic violence in Alaska in comparison to other states. Alaska has a staggering rate of 59% of women experiencing intimate partner violence, sexual violence, or both. In a video posted along with this particular article, advocates detail how common DV is in Alaska. One of the advocates stated, violence in Alaska is absolutely normalized. And I think it is why prosecutors and judges don't blink an eye when they hand out these no jail sentences because it's not seen as urgent or pressing. It's seen as just another woman being assaulted. In 2019, Alaska ranked top of the list for highest rate of women murdered by males in a single offender incident. And it wasn't the first time. In fact, Alaska has a reported rate of rape that is 2.5 times the national average. And it's been that way for a while. One particular passage of this article really stuck out to me. And in this passage, the article starts off this paragraph describing what attracts people to Alaska. And she describes the rugged beauty, the outdoors, the huntsmanship, while also describing the reality of Alaska which is, it can be dangerous. You have wildlife to look out for, harsh winters, heavy snow, isolation. But the thing that stuck out to me the most is that the author also mentioned, and if you're a woman, you also have to worry about the dangers of men. Now, I've gotten this question a couple times during this particular season of rest. We love you. We love the show. But oh my gosh, enough with the DV. Why do you do cover so many DV cases? And here's the thing. Rest also does not want to keep covering DV cases. Unfortunately, though, when women go missing, there's a high case that DV is just going to be involved. I'm not looking for DV cases. I'm not going off purposely trying to find cases that are related to domestic violence. I select my cases at random. I just go to the website and I usually randomly pick either a year, a letter, or a state at complete random. And then I look through the different cases they have that are of black and brown persons. And I look at the details they have on that case and I'll Google that name. And if I Google it and 10 pages of podcasts, websites, news articles, and clippings show up, then I leave that case alone because it's getting coverage. It's getting people talking. But if I come across one and there's maybe only one or two pages, or maybe there's a lot of pages, but it's only in that city. So I got no national coverage. And I'll start looking into that case and see if I have enough information to give at least a 10 minute episode on And then if I do, I pick that case up and go. Now, every now and then, I'll have a family member that will reach out to me at my email or on Instagram, and they'll give me the information and I'll cover that case. But most of the time, I am picking at complete random. So why do I keep covering cases that seem to lean towards intimate partner violence being a big factor? Well, that's because intimate partner violence is just a big factor in women disappearing and being murdered in general. There's no hidden agenda. There's no conspiracy. It's just one of those statistical things that is what it is until we as a society decide that, okay, now this is what it isn't. This is what we aren't going to tolerate. Now, even though Thomas was found not guilty, 
and is a free man. And the big portion of his defenses, we don't know if Linda's dead. The thing is, Linda's family does believe she is deceased. Many people believe that Linda is in fact deceased. So much so that her family ran an obituary for her and held a remembrance gathering at a legacy funeral home back on January 30th, 2016. In an Anchorage Daily News article, Linda's aunt is captured saying that her niece is the third person in their biological family to be killed without having the killer brought to justice. And she goes on to say that this had made her feel really bad about the criminal justice system. She goes on to say, and I quote, I just wish and hope other families don't have to go through what our family has gone through. Linda's case is still technically open as a missing persons case. The jury apparently does not think there's enough evidence to prove that she is deceased. So her family is still waiting for answers and waiting for justice as they do believe that she was a victim of foul play and no one has been held accountable. Now, in this case, there really isn't a lot of divide in regards to theories. There is a majority of people who believe that this was a domestic violence-related disappearance and that the jury got it wrong. I don't think I really need to go into detail about why that theory is out there and is, in fact, the leading theory. Now, you do have a small subset of people who do believe that, okay, maybe Brenda did walk away. But even this subset of people seem to also believe that she is deceased. They believe that, yeah, a fight probably did occur that night. That's probably why the police found blood. That's probably why we got the testimonies from the daughter and the neighbor. But they believe that Linda did manage to get out the house that night, possibly to run away, and was met by some type of other element. In this particular theory, they do believe that she was harmed that night and may have been disoriented, but they do believe that she walked away from the home that night. Now, that particular theory seems to stem from a couple of different blog postings that I came about that said that there was another neighbor that came forward and testified that they saw Brenda walking outside that night slash morning, because it was technically morning, it was around 2.30 a.m. Now, I struggled to find where people got this comment from. I saw it posted on multiple blog posts, and I even heard someone mention it in a podcast about the case. However, I have not seen this officially printed anywhere, and I struggled to get my hands on court documents for this particular case. And again, there were at least 30 people that testified. And while this case was covered locally, it did not get a lot of national news, as a lot of things that happen in Alaska typically aren't covered nationwide. Unfortunately, that is just the way that these things tend to happen and go. So I do believe that is where that category of people are coming from. I'm saying, wait, but there is a neighbor that said they do remember seeing her walk out the house after that fight. However, I cannot find from a direct source the details of that particular testimony. Now, while it is widely believed that Linda is deceased, I'm asking that anyone with any information that could be of any type of help to not only the police, but to Linda's loved ones, to please reach out to the Alaska State Troopers or Anchorage Crime Stoppers. While her family does believe they know what happened and they do believe that she is no longer living, her case still deserves closure and justice. And what she has right now is not closure, nor is it justice. 
you can reach out to the Alaska State Troopers at 907-269-5511 or Crime Stoppers at 907-561-7867. That is all the information I have on this case. And that's all I have for today. As always, give the show a follow at the Overlook underscore podcast on Instagram. I post pictures and information on there. Throughout the week, I also post information about recent missing person cases on my news feed as I come across them. I also try to give updates when new information is received on old cases as well on there. So make sure you give us a follow. Please be sure to come by, share the missing person flyers, put it on your timeline, put it on your feed, whatever Whatever you can do to help to get the word out there. Now, that's the end of today's episode. You will hear the sound of my voice with a new episode next Sunday. You guys, as always, stay safe, stay vigilant, and you guys have a great new week. Mean Old Lion Media, where black and brown voices truly matter. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.